0: All right. How are we doing today? Good. All right. Let's try to keep it that way. (laughs) Uh, Are you ready for this? That makes one of us. (laughs) Like like Randy said, we're continuing here in a series, and we landed today on... uh, on the topic of reconciliation, which is an awesome, awesome topic. We're doing a series here, a study in the book of 2 Corinthians called The Strength of Weakness, which, again, is another topic I think i know a little bit about if we're talking weakness. and So I'm really excited to plow through this here this morning and uh, just kind of see where we go with this. But uh, I'm going to begin by reading today's passage out of 2 Corinthians uh, the fifth chapter. The Bible tells us that, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Years ago... I remember Mike Gaudet defining the word evangelism. And he said what evangelism is, is one beggar helping another, telling another beggar where to find bread. I love that. And what that really helped me to understand is that we're not talking down to people from the mountaintop. We're not talking from a position of strength. It's exactly the opposite. We don't have to be strong in and of ourselves. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. It's in our weakness, ironically, that we find strength through God. And with that being the case, uh, to talk today about the message of reconciliation, it's impossible for me to think about this topic without making it very personal. Because when it comes to this Bible and I think a lot of us here today would agree, we didn't just learn it, we lived it. When it comes to the teachings here today, it's not just something that we read in a book or believed intellectually, but when, if there's anybody here today that chokes up a little bit when they hear the song Amazing Grace and you land on that line, I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind but now I see. If that just uh, gets you a little bit, You're in the right place, because that's exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about how personal this particular message is today. And it makes me reflect a little bit on the people that carried this message of reconciliation to me. And it makes me think a little bit about how did they do that exactly? How did they accomplish that? What was it they said or did that flew under my radar? And in reflecting on that, there's a few key things that were communicated to me early on that radically changed my view of church and religion and Christianity and challenged me to maybe question some of my own beliefs and realize that I was wrong about a lot of things. One of the first challenging things that I learned when I started to investigate Christianity was they stated that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And that blew my mind because I grew up in religion. I grew up in a Christian home and I attended Sunday school at the Harmony Presbyterian Church in Hurley, South Dakota, population 420, counting the cemetery. And... (laughs) a little town that had, had one bar and seven churches, which means the drunks got along better than the Christians, I thought. <laughs> but uh, in my warped worldview. But, uh, but I learned religion. I knew what religion was. And when I went to Sunday school, there were the Ten Commandments hanging on the wall, and I was taught the standard mish-mash-mush of the New and Old Covenants, and and I got my eggs scrambled by it. and, And I tried to practice religion. I really did. And there was a time where I really wanted to do this stuff. But I'm a perfectionist and I failed a little bit, which means I ended up failing miserably. And I finally concluded that if I can't be a perfect good example, maybe I can be a perfect bad one. (laughs) And I found out that was actually achievable. (laughs) So that's the route I ended up going. Uh, The point of that, though, was that What I finally had to realize, again, because I was challenged about it and it was pointed out to me, was that I did not have a conception of God. I thought I did, but I learned that what I really had was a misconception of God. And they also explained to me that I didn't know what I didn't know. I thought I knew all about God and I thought I was right about my beliefs and I would actually defend these beliefs. If I, if my beliefs were right, then my response was probably correct. Run <laughs> because that's what a normal person would do. If your God was like the God in my head, the God I thought was real. And so what I learned about religion as opposed to Christianity then is that ultimately the purpose of religion is to make us sin-conscious. The purpose of Christianity is to make us son conscious The focus of Christianity isn't on sin, but on God's Son. And there's a huge difference. Because what I learned is that Christianity is... Relational, And you see, and that's why I, I had to laugh uh, last week because Mike was teaching and he mentioned that uh, the Bible tells us that when we die, and I don't think he said it, but you know, we end up at the pearly gates was how I heard him, you know, the picture in my head. And, but you die and go to this place and you Christ meets you and and the first thing he says to us as Christians is, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And see, that wasn't new information to me, because I believed for years that if I die and I go to God or meet Christ, that's exactly what he'll say to me. Well done. But well done is one way of cooking a steak. (laughs) See where I'm going with this. So some people, they were kind of bad. Well, you know, let's make this one medium rare. This guy, you know, he was, you know, did a little better, you know, a little worse. You know, this guy's going to be a, oh, this dude, well done. (laughs) Let's burn him. And that's honestly how I thought. And so with that conception of God, you see, I think I've mentioned this before, but I tried reading parts of the Bible. And part of it was I read the Bible the way that old actor did back in the 1930s. Uh, I know we'll go back even before Randy and my, my time, but back in there was an old actor named W.C. Fields, hilarious guy. And uh, he... Uh, you know, oh, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. You know, kind of an old drunkard. And, and uh, they caught, and he was very afraid of God, you know, probably like me, raised in religion, failed miserably, went the other way. And they caught, this, as the story goes, they caught W.C. Fields reading the Bible on his deathbed one day. So, of course, they had to razz him about it and go, W.C., I see you're reading the good book. I didn't realize you were a religious man. And he goes, I'm not. I'm not. And what are you doing reading the Bible? Looking for Luke polls. <laughs> so when I if you know during those times when I even tried reading the Bible, that's how I read it. But even worse, when I read this Bible, the parts that came out to me were the bad parts, because I knew I was an outsider to it. So obviously if you read that book and you know you're on the outside looking in, the good parts are there but they didn't apply to me. The bad parts were there, the scary parts, and that was the only message I got out of that book. So obviously this was not, a, not good news for me because I knew it didn't apply, the good parts. And so with that in mind, we have to get down to the core issue of humanity not just personally, but collectively, what is really our problem? What is our deal? And we could diagnose humanity and come up with all kinds of answers for that. But really, according to the Bible, our core problem is separation from God. And you see, that is at its core what we have a problem with. And interestingly, Even in studying comparative religions, if you look at all the religions of mankind, not just Christianity, but all of them, one of the places where they all seem to agree and they get it right is in telling us what our problem is. And in one form or another, all religions agree that our core problem is separation, alienation from God. Now, Once Now, you can be right about a problem and be wrong about the solution. If anybody's ever gone to the doctor or went to an auto mechanic and tried to get something fixed, just because they didn't fix it right doesn't necessarily mean that they misdiagnosed the problem. There's just different ways of fixing things, and sometimes they get it wrong. And you see, a lot of religion gets it wrong. But not because they misdiagnosed the problem. We are separated from God. And the purpose of all religion is telling us how to bridge the gap. So, all of these different religions, in their own forms, their own ways, their own versions, they're saying it's like, uh, it's kind of like uh, if you've ever gone to the mall, you know, like, Yeah, I hang out there. (laughs) But I remember once being at a mall, and they had this thing in the center court, and they had a map of the mall, and they went and had that arrow, you are here, and then you can figure out here's where you should be. I've seen those in airports. Here's where you are, and here's where your flight just left five minutes ago. (laughs) And that's a lot like how it is in all religion. I am here, and God is here, and that's a problem. So, in religion, my question becomes, how do I get God to come? either come down here to me by coaxing him or conning him or coercing him? How do I get God to come here? Or how can I get up here to meet him? Because I have to bridge that gap. And there's all kinds of different ways we can do that. Even in Christianity, the problem with a lot of Christian religion is they still fall into that mindset that there is separation, and the whole weight of reconciliation is on my shoulders. How am I going to get to God? How do I get God to come to me? And think, God, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Because the wall I hit in religion... As hard as I tried at different times to try and apply it, it just didn't work. And that's the time when, again, I'm so grateful, so blessed for the people that came alongside of me in those critical times and helped me to understand where I was wrong and they were kind of smart alex but i remember him saying to me gosh you know what you got this problem and you can't understand the bible and can't or you can't understand christianity gosh if only those guys that had it figured out 2000 years ago would have left some notes <laughs> If only they would have wrote down how to get from here to there. If only there was like a, they maybe, they, if they would have published a book, maybe. <laughs> that would have really been helpful. And, and, you know, of course, I'm a little slow on the uptake, but it finally dawned on me, there is such an instruction manual. B-I-B-L-E. Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. <laughs> So, in my desperation, I actually picked up a copy of this book and I read it. When all else fails, read the instructions, right? <laughs> so, it works with Ikea stuff, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so, maybe it'll work for my soul. So, I actually picked up the Bible and read it, and except, in all honesty, except Leviticus. Let you in on a little secret: nobody reads Leviticus. Okay. Except for Mike Godet. I'm pretty confident that Mike has actually read Leviticus. <laughs> but primarily what I read was the New Testament, and I went into that thing and I started to read what the Bible said about this, and it rocked my world, because the more I started to study this, especially with some people that understood this, it occurred to me that this book did not say what other people said it said. I got so much of my information secondhand. And believe me, I listened to the TV evangelists of the 1980s. And I listened to the Jimmy Swaggerts and and the you know, they were all named Jim, <laughs> I mean, rather than him. But uh the Jims of the world and, and all of those guys and, and but it was amazing because so much of that sounded right. And the Bible agrees. It says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. All religion seems right to man because man made it up. <laughs> The Bible, on the other hand, didn't always sound right. It didn't always make sense, because this is new. It's different. It do, it it doesn't line up the way that my head says it should. And what it said was, reconciliation is critical, because Christianity is relational. But we're not the ones with the burden of bridging that gap. If that gap is going to get bridged, it is up. To God. Now today we're going to mention a few things that we do need to do to cooperate with the process. I remember when I was a young punk kid, I had my got my car in the ditch. You know, it was slippery out, and and they're trying to pull my car out of the ditch, and it's not coming out. And you know, big four wheel drive, strain, and then finally a guy looks inside and goes, "Maybe this would work better if you took it out of park." <laughs> <laughs> And he was right. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, an object lesson in cooperation. <clears throat> See, I couldn't get out of the ditch alone. There was a guy trying to help pull me out, but I had to cooperate with the process. And that's what we're going to learn today is there's some things we need to do to take her out of park and, and assist, but that doesn't mean the burden is on us. So, with that in mind, once we agree that we need, that we cannot coerce God down or get to Him, can't build a Tower of Babel and walk back into heaven and go or back, <laughs> doesn't work that way, then I'm faced with a new problem, aren't I? Now it's not a problem of how do I do this, but rather it's a problem of trust. <laughs> How do I trust this God to do that which he said he would do? Can I trust God to reconcile with me? And you see, that really turns out to be a huge, huge part of Christianity. Uh, Is... We, have, we come in and learn that it's up to God, so then we have to ask ourselves some very challenging questions, like, is God really good? Is God really merciful? Is God really forgiving? You see, what is the real nature and character of God? And this is where I love the definition of the word gospel, that was laid on me years ago. Now, I know there's some different ways that people explain that or definitions, but the one that was laid on me, I'm so grateful for it because it really resonated. The word gospel, we know, we agree, is means simply good news. And that leads the question, well, what is the news exactly and what makes that news good? And the news isn't what, Some people say, well, you get to go to heaven when you die, you get salvation, or things like that. That's good news also, but it's not the good news. The gospel message is simply a message that says, there is a God, and the nature of that God is love. There is a God, and he is friendly, (laughs) If aliens landed out here in the yard, and we hope they don't, and they came out of their spaceship, wouldn't the first question you ask, once you realize, oh my God, aliens, wouldn't you want to know, what do you want? Are you friendly, aliens, or not? And you see, it's exactly the same encountering God. If you Once you acknowledge that there is a God and he exists, wouldn't you just naturally want to know what his nature is, what his character is? And that turns out to be the entire gospel message. God is a loving God. That's news, and it's good news. Because if he's not, it changes everything, doesn't it? So... That, when we get into that nature of trust then, the nature of God, what we have to do is we have to start not just to believe, and by believe, how, what do you believe? Believe the news. Believe what the Bible says. But that also involves disbelief, doesn't it? I have to disbelieve what my lying mind says. I have to start to doubt my own reasoning and my own thinking. I have to disbelieve the information that's been piped into my head my whole life. And that's kind of hard to do, because I remember that, again, personal to me. I remember when they taught me not self-confidence, but self-doubt. It was like walking on eggshells. If I can't trust my own head, what am I going to trust? I f- literally walked funny. Like I was going to, like I'm walking on eggshells, like one day the floor is just going to open up and cave in and I'm going to fall through it. I really felt untethered. But you see, that actually turned out to be a good thing because I trusted my own reasoning for years and look where it got me. <laughs> I mean, at least if I turn my will and my life over to the care of God, it's not in the hands of an idiot. (laughs) So, I mean, God can't do anything to me that I haven't already done to myself. (laughs) So, once I started to realize that our problem is relational. It's separation from God. And the fruit of separation from God is separation from God. From others, isn't it? Now, I was also, as evidence that I was separated from God, I had a lot of alienation with my family and friends and people around me, and I tried to fix that too in different ways. But if I don't fix the core problem, I don't have any hope of fixing this either. And I have to start with this relationship— the fruit of fixing this one is fixing these. Kind of makes a cross, doesn't it? Isn't that just coincidental. <laughs> but, but that's really what I had to focus on. And that's why in this verse out of the uh, first uh, chapter of Colossians I put in here, it talks in here, it talks about God making peace with us. And that's really, isn't that what we all wanted our whole lives? Peace? You know why we do all the things that we do ultimately isn't it just about going ah, peace everything we do in life is a means to that end isn't it gosh if i just had a the right number of zeros on my bank account you know and today i do you know it's just it's all zeros <laughs> Be cool if there was a one or two in front of them, but, but but if my bank account just had the right number of zeros on it, then I could have what I really want—ah, peace. So it's not about the money; it's about peace. If I just had her, then I'd be happy. I could, I'd have. Peace and happiness. And I just, if I could get her, if I could get him, I'd, oh, ah, angels that sang, everything would be great. Six months later, God, if I could just get rid of her, <laughs> I could have peace. <laughs> People get divorced for the same reason they get married, don't they? It's all about peace of mind. If I could just get that house or that car, if I could, once I get my education, then life is going to start, and I can start to be happier. If this person had died, or if that one had come back to life, I could be happy. Whatever it is, but it's really about peace. And you see, that's so true with. Our faith in Christianity, even there, what's it really about? Peace. How can we have peace with God? And you see, that's the whole thing. How did Christ describe himself? The Prince of Peace. See, Christ came to make peace with the world, it says, because through his blood, through his sacrifice, through his example. It was all about forwarding that simple gospel message. I am here. I am God incarnate in flesh, representing my Father in heaven, and the message I am carrying through everything I do and everything I don't do, it's all about telling you, showing you, convincing you, you are loved. I love you. And because I love you, I'm not here to bash you or rub your nose and stuff. I am here to help you. I am here to save you. I am here as a servant to serve you. And that just didn't fit inside of my brain. <laughs> but that was the truth. And you see, so once we know it's about God trying to make open up a door to make peace with us, It says our human condition, we were alienated from God. Not just separated, alienated. Outsiders looking in, not citizens. And he also says we were enemies of God, but it doesn't say we were true enemies, does it? We were enemies in our minds. As far as I was concerned, God hated me, and I was just returning the favor. As far as I was concerned, we were enemies. But that didn't mean that God viewed me that way. It means that I viewed me like that. Enemies in our minds. And then in the NIV translation, it's curiously, it says we were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. But... In the same Bible, if you read the note and read the bottom of it, it gives an alternate translation. It doesn't necessarily mean because of. It also can be translated as shown by. Now, that's a critical difference. You might think, oh, he's splitting hairs. Well, I got the hair to split, apparently. (laughs) But, But the point of that is, it's a huge difference. See, the one puts the cart before the horse. It says, oh, because my behavior is bad, then I'm an enemy. But the other translation that I believe is the correct one says, no, I'm, a, my, I'm an enemy first, and it, sh- it manifests through my behavior. Because you see, again, the reason why that's so critical to understand is we don't have a behavior problem. We have a belief problem. It starts with belief. Belief. Bad beliefs lead to bad behaviors, not the other way around. How can you act right if you believe wrong? It doesn't work that way. So, so much of this Bible isn't about our behavior. Religion was, the Bible doesn't address that so much. Why? Because at the core, God is smart enough to know we have to address our beliefs first, And if we get that right, our behaviors will fall in line. That truly is how it works. So, with that understanding of what our problem is, our solution becomes pretty obvious to let God do what He said He was going to do. You know, in Hebrews 10, it says it talks about the door that Christ opened through his sacrifice and it concludes let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and once we know it's not up to me anymore it's up to god then the question becomes okay what do we do to at least cooperate with the process and there's four things our part is simple Learn, turn, believe, and receive. I just had to put that that way because I knew Mike would appreciate the alliteration, <laughs> as always. But there's a few simple things we can do. The Bible is very clear that the first part of this—it's critical that we hear. We've—how can anybody turn if they don't know if they don't know what to do? And again, that's why our message is so critically important because we have to hear it. I had to hear some things I didn't want to hear and thank God for the people that were saying these things. Some people say the truth hurts. I totally disagree. I don't believe the truth ever hurt anyone. I think it's lies that kill people. (laughs) See, people, I would rather have you hate me for telling you the truth rather than love me for telling you a lie. And, the, when people talk to me, they told me the truth. And it, the pain wasn't, you know, if the truth hurts. No, it wasn't the truth that hurt. It was my resistance to truth that caused the pain. Uh, a good object lesson of that is uh, there's a story of a uh, young boy who was yelled at by his mom for pulling a cat's tail. And the kid probably grew up to be a lawyer. He ac- <laughs> accurately pointed out, "Mommy, I'm not pulling the cat's tail. I'm just holding it. It's the cat doing the pulling." <laughs> you see, it's not the truth that hurts so much as our resistance to the truth. That's where the pain came in. And because if if you're honest, if you're humble, if somebody says the truth to you, it shouldn't hurt. You know, some people, if I'm honest about myself, I'm going to be, you know, you're really ugly. You know, that shouldn't hurt unless I don't want to believe I'm ugly. But they say, you know, you're ugly. I'd go, yeah, and I smell bad too. <laughs> but the point of that is very simple. It's our resistance to the truth that hurts. So thank God that we hear the truth, and thank God for people that tell us the truth. But now we have to respond to that in some way, don't we? So once we learn the truth, we have a dilemma. We're standing at a fork in the road, and we need to repent. And this, again, is where religion gets it wrong, because when they talk about repenting, they talk about repenting from behavior, don't they? To turn from sin. You see, what is the sin? It's not the behavior, it's the wrong belief causing the wrong behavior. So the real thing we need to turn from and turn to, it's not that we turn from sin and turn towards righteousness, sounds right, but we really, if I turn, if I'm going to Rapid City, so I leave Sioux Falls heading east, (laughs) that's a long drive, And at some point when I see the you know the signs not getting closer, if I got a map going, gosh, it's getting farther away, I might actually get the message that I'm going the wrong way. So what do I do? Double down and keep going? No. You stop and change direction. You turn. That's the word for that is repent. So you see, it's not that I'm facing my sins, that's not the problem. The problem is I'm not facing God, I'm running from him, and I need to face him and move towards him. One of my spiritual advisors taught me a term that he used a lot called the fundamental option. He says people can confuse you because good guys sometimes do bad things and bad guys sometimes do good things. That's reinforced by Hollywood. Remember when movies were so black and white, not only, you know, in color, but the, the concept. You know, the good guys were all good and they wore white hats and the bad guys were all bad and wore black hats. And then they came out with movies where you actually get turned around where you're rooting for the bad guys. <laughs> the good guys really weren't the good guys, and the bad guys weren't the bad guys, and it gets all confusing. But, but, it's, but in, in this case, you see, it. he had a fundamental option where he said, fundamentally everybody is either facing God and moving towards him, or fundamentally facing away from him and getting farther lost. That made sense. So fundamentally, I was facing the wrong way, and I needed to repent, to change direction, admit I was going the wrong way, and it wasn't turn from my sins, but it was to face God. And having done that, that involves an act of belief. I have to believe. I have to trust that this is the right direction, and I have to commit to saying, you know what, I'm, I'm on board, I'm going to go this way. And it's through our beliefs. It says, and there's a, so many lines I could pull out of this Bible, by the way, that reinforce that trust that we can have in God. But one of my favorites is out of Matthew 7, where I don't know how Christ could have made it any more plain than this, but he said simply, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Doesn't that sound like a promise or a written guarantee? (laughs) I think that's exactly what this is. And he didn't mince words, did he? There's no, I mean, if this was a contract, I'd sign it. (laughs) I will do this and I will do that. There's no fine print. I looked for it. There's no fine print. There's no wiggle room here. I will. But notice it wasn't you will, it's I will. I. One of the scarier passages in the Bible is that one where Christ said, many will come to me on that last day crying, Lord, Lord. Did not we... Cast out devils in your name. Did not we perform many miracles? Did not we do all of these signs and wonders for you? <coughs> and remember what Christ said to them? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. It's not like, God, you know, I, 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 you got a familiar face. I think I met you once, but, you know, what's your name again? Ah, I kind of forgot who you were. It doesn't say that. It said, I never knew you. We were never in relationship." Never. And you see, they kind of thought they were, but what did they say? Look what we did for you. Let us in because we did all this for you. The right answer is look what you, I am here because of what you did for me. It's a huge difference. I know years ago we taught it a different way. We, talked about two guys showing up at the gates of Graceland, if anybody remembers Elvis, you know, the king. Not the king of king and the lord of lords. He was a king of rock and roll. And uh, two guys show up at the gates of Graceland and ring the buzzer. They want to go in and see Elvis. The first guy who rings the buzzer he knows a lot about Elvis. He's the president of three Elvis fan clubs, and he knows he wins all the Elvis trivia contests, and he knows what was on the B side of Don't Be Cruel on the first record pressing, and he knows uh, details about Elvis' life. He's memorized all kinds of stuff, and he rings a buzzer and wants to be let in. Doesn't, gate doesn't open. Another guy comes up, rings a buzzer, and goes, Hey, Elvis, it's Mark. Just came over to see you. Gate swings wide. The other guy's left standing there going, how come he gets in there? And he yells at the guy, hey, you don't know enough to get in there. What's on the B side of don't be cruel? God, actually, I don't know. You know, what was Elvis's sister's maiden name? I don't know. (laughs) know, And, well, how come you're getting in and I'm not? Oh, because I know him. (laughs) We have a relationship. We're friends. You see, relationships, that makes all the difference. So, We can have confidence because of the promises God made to us in writing. And that leads us to that great passage in Revelation that many are familiar with. So be earnest and repent. Again, not about behavior, but repent with belief. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, which is belief... I will come in, receive. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, all four of those things, learn, turn, believe, and receive, are in that one and a half passages in Revelation, aren't they? It Could it be that simple? Yes, it could. And what a perfect uh, segue. I know Jay Murphy would be proud to see a radio quality segue like that, but that last passage talked about hearing God's, hearing Christ's voice opening the door and he will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And today is Communion Sunday and that's exactly what we're fixing to do. <laughs> There's an invitation on the table that says, I am here and I am knocking and if you open that door, I will come in and we will have fellowship. And as an evidence of that, we do communion and that's exactly what we're going to do. As we take this communion, just to reflect on the fact that we have heard this message and we have believed it and we have turned to face God and we have opened that door and now we get to have a relationship with him. So as we uh, take communion, uh, there's a table set up in the back. Just walk back, take the elements. We don't instruct you on when to take them. And you can uh, just partake of that and just reflect on this today, that you are reconciled to God. He has done the heavy lifting. We just need to cooperate. And uh, we'll do that uh, and close. Thank you. Before we close, I just want to state, for the record, that Gary Klatt in the back row reads Leviticus. <laughs> Good job, Gary. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. <laughs> That's right. I'm twice. <laughs> That's right. I stand corrected. So, <laughs> but as we close <laughs> on that note, I. Part of the passage we read today says that now is the day of God's salvation. Today is the day of God's favor. So Lord, as we close, we just want to say that we realize that perhaps one of the most dangerous things for us isn't complete disbelief, but procrastination of all things. Because a lot of people, they don't say no to you. What they say is not yet. They always We always believe we have more time. So, Lord, as we consider this message today, please help us not only to believe it and receive it, but, Lord, help us to do that sooner rather than later. Please help us, Lord, soften our hearts and help us to realize that you have made a tremendously good offer to us, and just help us to receive it, Lord. We believe. Please help our disbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.